This episode is sponsored by PuttView Books. These are some of the best yardage books out there. So whether you're headed to your next tournament at a course you've never played at, or you're just looking to get a little more info at your home course that you play every day, you're going to want to check these out. There's two cool things you need to know. One is the green maps. These are some really detailed info on the greens that you're headed into. So you know the slopes before you even get there. And you can look at the pin position and kind of understand what's going on. I really like the kind of heat map almost look that you can see. Really clear, really simple, very useful. The other thing I like is some of the info you get off the tee. So with the yardages to carry and then some of the rollout info as well. Plus, what does the ground look like in the fairway? Which way are things going to run off as well? So really good info on both those things. Clear, well-designed. Design is important to me, and I like the design of these quite a bit. So. You're going to check these out, puttviewbooks.com, over 30,000 courses worldwide. I bet they're going to have what you're looking for when you plug in that golf course. You're definitely going to check these out, puttviewbooks.com, so you're more prepared the next tournament you're headed into. We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. Hey, thanks for joining us today. You are listening to one of our partner shows. It is the Tour Coach Podcast with Tony Ruggiero. He has some phenomenal guests on talking about teaching tour pros. He'll have his players on. It's always a great show. Today was another great episode. I want to share that with you here on the Golf Science Lab Podcast. Let's get into it. Another edition of the Tour Coach here in the car with my dog, Chip Shot, cruising down for the holiday weekend. Thought I'd catch up with a great teacher, one of the great teachers in the game, Golf Digest Top 50, and he's making a huge name for himself with the, the way he teaches and his, and the science behind it and, and all that stuff. We're going to get into it. Michael Jacobs. Michael, what's going on, man? I appreciate you, and I know you've been slammed. We've tried to do this a couple times. That's a good thing for a teacher, right? <laughs> to be the best. Yes. Yes, indeed, Tony. Thanks for having me on. Sorry, I've been trying to get on the show for a while and uh, a little rainy afternoon, so finally have the time. No, no, it's great. It's great. And then, you know, we had tried to connect a couple times, and then what I really wanted to pick your brain on, I'm always fascinated by when somebody works with somebody and all of a sudden they start having a bunch of success. You've done some work with Padre Harrington, and I saw him at the PGA, actually. I was over there, Brandon nice. Hagee, and, and uh, you know, played phenomenal. I, I just saw so curious. And, and I think this applies to anybody that comes to you. What was the process that you went through? Where did you start with them? And kind of take us through that. I'd like to hear. And I think, you know, we get a lot of teachers that listen to this podcast, I guess. We get lots of notes in. And, and so I think it'd be great for those that are listening to us and trying to learn. What was the process you went through and where did you start and take us through the whole story? Yeah, sure. So um, over the winter, I think it was in December or so, I got a phone call. Uh, asking if I would take on a new client, and I said sure. I said you know, I said you know, who'd you have in mind? And they, they said it was Padraig, and he was intrigued by my book Science of the Swing and my videos, and he's always in a quest for speed. And uh, some of the things I can't really talk about, but just sure, to give sure. you, yeah, just to give you a little synopsis. But you know, the big thing in his game was he could go out and have. Anywhere between 20 mile an hour difference in his ball speed on any given day. No way. Driver. Yeah. Yeah. So that's about all I could say about that. But so 
you know, with the science of the swing and all the things that we do, you know, I think that they, everybody was hoping for a little adjustment with force and torquing the club and all that. And then, so we, I met with his coach at the time and we got together and we uh, discussed the swing. And then I guess the coach was impressed and he, he said, you know, we'd like to put Padres on the next call and I'm going to let you guys take it from there. And, and then we went from there. So uh, he came to visit a few times and worked a lot with the video when he was, you know, stuck in Ireland and stuff. And he's a hard sure. worker. And it's been, uh, you know, I, I based, I, it's been a, just about a full rebuild. So it's been fun. It's been fun. He's a hard worker. He's just, he's, uh, he's great to work with. And what's yeah, great is when it comes to, yeah, when he comes to visit here, you know, I'm at, uh, on Eastern Long Island, which is, you know, a public course. And, uh-huh. uh, he feels right at home at the public course, and you know he's standing in the pro shop. People walking in, looking at him, they're like, "That guy looks familiar," you know. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, that's a cool place where you teach. You know, to be able to have somebody like that is yeah, uh, he's a great player. He's a great guy. So let's talk about what do you have going on with uh, the software. I haven't had you on the podcast. You've been on my radio show a bunch of times, and we've talked about so many things on the radio, but. With this for the podcast, and, and especially since there's a lot of teachers and people that are really into into the golf swing, and let's talk about some of the things you're doing with Jacobs 3D out there. Sure. Um, and some sure. of the things that it's helping you find out and expose, or that you you know maybe some things you know Michael that like you wouldn't have known, or there was no way to know if you didn't have the 3D oh, software and that type of stuff. Yeah, so we get the opportunity to work with Dr. Nesbitt, who's a genius. And um, so what we did was we officially completed the whole full-body program. So and, and most people are familiar with stuff that we talked about in our club analysis. Now we have the whole completed full-body. So we have everything that's basically going on within the body. And uh, Dr. Nesbitt and I just submitted a paper for publishing, which is kind of unique. And I'll give you the best, quickest way to think about it is studies have been done about the human body rotating. Like, for example, it's common for some scientists to do a paper on, let's say, a diver in the air and how their body's spinning around in the air and trying to figure out ways that you could configure your body to maybe turn faster or turn slower. But what's never been done is somebody standing on the ground and using ground forces to continue to add torque to the system. When you're looking at a diver or you're looking at a gymnast doing a somersault in the air, that's called torque-free motion. So that's a little bit easier to kind of calculate. But when the golfer is using the ground and putting more torque into the body and you're trying to analyze how the body's handling that and are there ways to manipulate it, that's what Dr. Nesbitt created and that's what we published. So that'll be coming out. And when there's there's three really good, interesting findings in there. So that's like the newest of, of the stuff. And I and I used it a lot when I worked with Patrick. I would say that's the thing we worked on the most. And aside from that, the things that I didn't know, oh, man, it's so much, so much. Uh, I will say this, though. I think that when I look back on my teaching career, I spent a lot of time on, like, individual parts and, like, trying to get somebody to, let's say, move their hips a certain way or – you know, how much they were going to turn a certain part or take their arm this way. And, and what I found is as we move on, it's more of a whole, a whole thing. Like if you're going to, if you're going to focus in, let's say on the hips, it's more about 
what it's going to do to the rest of the system than just trying to have a tour average and hip turn or something like that. So what we what I've definitely found is it's more of a uh, it's more of a, a global thing with using utilizing the whole entire body instead of breaking it down per per body part. So that's pretty interesting to me. So instead of like you know where people you know, measure like, and they'll say he's got X number of degrees of hip turn and X number of degrees of shoulder turn or whatever. You look more at the whole body and where everything correct. is and correct, correct. And, and, correct. and how all of that interrelates and affects each other. Correct. And there is nothing more determinate on what a person can do, let's say, and how much they turn their hips based on where the arms and club are and how fast they're moving. So one great thing that Dr. Nesbitt did for me is he mathematically removes the club if I want to just analyze the, you know, just the spinning body, and then the club gets put back in so I can see what effect the club has and doesn't have. And it has a huge effect. So if you're out there at home making practice swings without a golf club, I would recommend making swings with the club. Okay. It, it, the it, club it, changes it, what you can do. Club changes a lot of, you know, for example – how fast the club is moving at the end of the backswing and how far away that club is from the center mass of your entire body has huge effects on how you can start your downswing. Interesting. So, you know, how do you, you got lots of questions here. I'm driving, so I'm thinking of all the things I can ask you and pick your brain about. So like when you, you know, if you're a, a teacher that's up and coming, you're 33 years old and you, you know, you just get to whatever, and you got to, you know, you're getting going, and you don't have, like, the money for, like, years and all that stuff, how would you advise a teacher like that? What technology would you have them get started with? And how can they use, how can teachers use some of the stuff that you found and that you do, maybe without that technology, and help regular golfers that are in front of them? Yeah, I mean, you don't need the technology to be able to help golfers. I mean, you could learn so much just from... From the stuff. So it, it just takes time. You know, a young up and coming teacher or some, or even a golf swing enthusiast. There's so many people who are just like right. want to right. learn as much about it. It just takes a lot of time and you got to be patient and you got to go step by step. I think everybody's in a hurry and everybody's trying to make their mark and it, it just takes a lot of time. Like, for example, it took Dr. Nesbitt and I nine years to complete the club program to the way that you see it now, where it's fully understandable and people know what's going on. And I expect the body program to take me five years to get to a certain point. So my recommendation would be, number one, to be patient, to go slowly, <laughs> and to master a, a thing at a time. Like, sit down and say, okay. This winter, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to learn more about how the club rotates and just go piece by piece and be super patient. And it's okay to, you know, take your time because you need to take your time. I think that's great advice because I was talking to a somebody messaged me, a young teacher, and asked for advice. And I said, I think that one of the, I mean, I don't know, problem's not the right word, but everybody's in a rush to yeah. like be famous for lack of a better word, you know, and that they don't, I don't think that, and, and people teach for two or three years and they put a bunch of stuff on social media and then they have a guy, you know, they have a guy make it through first stage of Q school and they think they've solved the golf switch, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, yeah. and, 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 and people lose sight of people. I think like you, I've known about you for a long time, a lot of it through our good friend, Matt Rudy, but like 
you've been working on this stuff for a long damn time. Long time. Right? Like I'm 42, you know, I'm 42 years old, and I've been teaching golf half my life, 21 years. So it takes a long time. Right, and I've been teaching roughly over 20 years. So, like, you know, I always come back to these sayings that my old mentor would say. I didn't realize he was as smart as he was when I worked for him. But, you know, he always would say, you can't get 10 years of experience in one day less than 10 years. That's right. And so when you started on this, what prompted you to go on this journey, this, like, this scientific journey where you really wanted to figure all that? Because I think that makes you different than other teachers. I mean, sure. I don't know yeah, that I everybody could like the, I could tell you the exact moment. So yeah. I was a really good athlete when I was a kid. And okay. I was a great golfer. And I wanted to get better. Like, I wanted to, you know, like you did, I'm sure. You were out there practicing yeah. your three-foot putt to win the U.S. Open, right, as a kid. Yeah. And I went to a famous golf teacher, and I got worse. And I got really worse. And the more I tried and more golf teachers I tried, I got worse and worse. And I just said, "This how can this be? I'm going to, you know, possibly to figure this whole thing out myself. And it, you know, here we are 20 years later. And so when you started on the journey to figure it out, did you initially go to science and to people like Dr. Nick? It was a golfing machine. Yeah, I went to Ben Doyle. Okay. It was a golfing machine. You know, I, I learned a lot of the, my instruction, I think, was, is based in the roots of the golf machine, okay? Right. You know, I know Brian Manzella, who does a lot with you. I mean, obviously, he was very involved in it as well, and, and he's put some stuff up recently, you know, that talk, you know, where it's stuff that we used to talk about in the golf machine. How much of the stuff, like, when you went from golf machine to science, like, was there a lot of stuff that was spot on? Was there a lot of stuff that was way uh, off? Um. How do I say it? Well, I don't think the golfing machine was a science book as much as we thought it was. Right. You know, I mean, for example, the equations of motion are never discussed, right? I mean, okay. rigid rigid body dynamics and the equations of motion, things like the center of mass of the club, it was never in that book, you know. So I think it was just, you know, at the time it was great. And, you know, Ben Doyle was a great teacher. If it wasn't for Ben Doyle, I don't think it would have continued on as much as, as long as it did. But then, you know, we treated it as gospel back in the day. And then mm -hmm. as time went on, we adjusted, you know. You know, we saw that golfers weren't hitting down on their drivers anymore as the driver head got bigger and longer. And golfers weren't keeping a flat left wrist and sustaining a line of compression. And we adjusted, you know. And some people, you have to be willing to adjust, you know. I mean, even stuff recently, like originally – I presented my club stuff in a real simplified way, and then I adjusted to a more complex way in my new book, and it's, it was an adjustment. So it's always, uh, you know, you always have to expect that two or three years from now you're going to be doing things differently, and that's progress. Yeah, and I think that's the mark of a great teacher, too, one that embraces change, right? I mean, Absolutely. the game's obviously evolving. And, again, too, one of the other things that I wanted to talk and point out is, like, you, know, you, you listen to people – people get in these pissing contests online, right? Yeah. And it's like everybody's got to be right or wrong. Yeah. And, you know, and they start doing that, too, towards the golf machine. And, like, I always looked like golf machine, but, like, at the time it was the best we had, right? I mean, that was the, some of the best information that was out there. Yeah, like, it was at the time. It's all relative to the time. Right, like, you can't be critical of those people no. Or no. Be, when they didn't have access to 3D data like you no. have. No, like Dr. Nesbitt, like Dr. Nesbitt always says double pendulum 2D model in the 60s and 70s, like search for the perfect swing. At the time, that was a big deal to be able to figure that out. But you can't 
criticize that because they didn't have a motion capture machine 30, 40 years later. You know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, there's all all kinds of quibbling in golf. And, like, one of the big arguments now is can you push on the back of the shaft in the downswing? That's, like, the big argument now. We say okay. you, you, you push on the back of the shaft, yeah. And the chances are in modern golf you push on the back of the shaft and whatever you did to push it is probably there's still some push left. It might not, you can't be adding push, but I'm sure you put enough push in to where there's still some push showing. And then there's a whole nother action of golf science that says you never push on the back of the shaft. You only pull away the back of the shaft. So that's the big debate. So what what would be the opposite of what you talked about first, the pushing on the back of the shaft? What are the, what is the other side trying to say happens? The other side says that you pull you pull away the back of the shaft. So the whole time you're bringing the club down, your right hand is trying to take it in the backswing direction. Huh. So like the old famous Ben Hogan, you know, wish he had three right hands halfway down. You know that little toss that everybody yeah, oh, yeah, felt? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the little toss you feel halfway down with a little, you know, in your right hand and you see the right wrist going through flexion and extension. All the published works of the other side would say you can't look at the motion of the hand. You can't look at that. The club is being reversed by the golfer. So hmm. It's counterintuitive. Yeah, that's very counterintuitive. Uh, yeah, that's the whole that's the whole argument in golf. That's it right there. We say that. Well, we know for a fact somewhere along the line in the downswing, you push on the back of the club, the back of the shaft, and then whatever push you had, chances are there's still going to be a little bit present. It's going to be less, but they're still going to be a little present. And that's the whole, you know, six-year argument in golf. It's as simple as that. So you boiled down that whole pissing contest to what we just yes. talked about. I've been saying that for five or six years, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I gave a whole presentation on at the Top 100 thing proving that there is still some push on the back of the shaft. When you see Bryson DeChambeau, bat, you know, slam a club off his back – you know, when he's hitting a 300-yard drive. Yeah, it might look like in the hitting area, his hand's coming off the club, but somewhere along the line in that downswing, he pushed hard on the back of the club, and some of that push is still present at the hit. It wouldn't slam into his back on the other side if it wasn't. I agree with that. By the way, I, I don't know if I've talked to you since then, but you did a great job on that presentation. I was impressed with the uh, fact that obviously the stuff that you do is very scientific and can be complex and complicated. But right. I think that's the art form to be able to stand up there and explain it in a way that most people could understand. And also the fact that you were willing to stand up there because, like, the thing I always hate about those rooms is half the people in there are trying to learn and listen to you, and the other half aren't listening at all. They're trying to prove you wrong, and they never take uh, time to listen to the damn thing. I love you dearly. It's more than half trying to prove me wrong. <laughs> I was I was being nice. I was just using round numbers. <laughs> so yeah, I was told at that speech to go all out and give the whole, you know, to go all out and make it as complex as needed. It'll be a good shakeup for the industry. So I did. Well, and I think that I mean we could you and I could sit and have a beer and talk about the culture of golf instruction for a long time, but like to me. That's one of the one of the problems or one of the issues in our industry is like everybody's trying to tear everybody down instead of you know it's okay if people have different ideas 
and don't agree. It's competitive. Don't. Everybody's competing, I guess. I don't know. There's a lot of when, what I've learned in the scientific world, especially with publishing papers and all that. The biggest current, the currency of the academic world is ego. <laughs> I mean, that's the it's, currency. It's the currency of the golf world, too. It seems to be. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of ego in it. I think it's in every industry. Yeah, agree. Agree. And I think that with so, you know, and, and I, I told Brian this in the airport in New Orleans one time, like, I never put out, like, I put stuff on Instagram and social media, but I very seldom ever, especially with a tour player, put the stuff I'm working on. Right? Because yeah. the last thing I want is some jerk off that's never taught anybody in his life jumping on there and saying a bunch of stuff that, like, he doesn't know anything about. Right? You, you never know what's going on between a player and a coach. Like, for example, a different player I taught, another pretty famous player, he only wanted me to work on him from the hand, just. I forget what what he said. He said from the from the elbows down to the club head. That was it. He didn't want me to ever say anything about anything of his upper arms, his body, his feet, his head, anything. It was only he only asked me to make adjustments to lower arms, hands, and club. So you never know, right? Hey, if that's what the guy ordered, you know, that's what we did. I think it's crazy to ridicule or criticize teachers when you don't sit in on the instruction, right? You never know what's going on between a player and a coach. Right, especially with, like, tour players and good players, right? There, I mean, by nature, they're weird, right? And and, and, and they have feels and they have preferences. And sometimes sometimes they want to go back to something that isn't what we would necessarily prescribe or prefer, but, I mean, that's our job, right? I mean, they're our clients. Yeah, so here's a perfect example. Great player, played 19 major championships, one of the best players in New York in a long time, won several New York State Opens, Met Opens. Came last week, wanted me to give him a checkup before he went to a big series of tournaments, and over pushes on the back of the handle, you know, handle dragging type thing that everybody talks about, way over pushes on the back of the handle. Needed to definitely feel more release, more flexion and extension in the right right hand, left hand going through the hip. He knew that. He understood what I was saying. And he said, there is no way I could go on a golf course and try to do that. He says, I can't. I won't play. I said, okay. So then we settled in on, he just felt like instead of pushing on the back of the handle, he was just basically going to keep the club more between his arms and just do less pushing, but with the same wrist action that he had. He shot four under the other day and was a medalist in one of the qualifiers for a big tournament around here. So, I mean, he's a great player as it is, but there's a perfect example of modifying. You know, people might go out, watch him play golf, video his swing, and they may be like, look at this. Jacob's taught this guy, and look how far his hands are before the hit. Look at that. He's pushing on the back of the club. But, you know, that's what he said he wanted, and we, we modified. It's different than people think. Because we can't ever forget that, like, especially when you're dealing with good players, like they're like a tour player's already been good. They're already great, or hell, they wouldn't be a tour player, right? And Correct. Like, you know, you, you go and I mean, they've got to actually be able to do it when it counts, and uh, and they got to be able to find it, <laughs> right? right? And so right. you got to be careful. I, I think that's one of the things I've learned is like how careful you have to be with great players, really good players, with the information you give them. And like, like you're saying, like you, you obviously have this great depth of information and knowledge 
but like you're careful in who you dispense it to and how much, especially if a guy's going to tee it up at a tournament the next day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where are you going with science now? So you you've done the club, you're working all on the, the club. The club is completely done. Yeah, club is completely done, fully published, and now is the full body program. So it's up and running. I'm analyzing swings. I'll be analyzing for another year or so, and then it'll be a book called The Anatomy of the Golf Swing. So when you analyze swings, one, how do you collect them? And two, like, what do you do? And how long does an analysis of a golf swing take for you? Well, you know, what, what type of stuff? Don't give away all your trade secrets, but no, no. The, they want to know how it, how it goes. You know, optical motion capture is the only way you, you can do it. You have to have, okay. I mean, it's got to be down. When you're getting into the, you know, the derivative, so like you have the position of the marker on, let's say, the club or the body, and then you have a change in that position, and then you're looking for a change in velocity. It has to be real precise to get all the way to acceleration. So optical motion capture for sure. I kind of planned ahead with the whole teaching versus researching. So whenever Dr. Nesbitt programs for me, we make several versions of it. So I have a student version. I have an ambassador version, and I have a me version, Dr. Nesbitt and I version. So student version is like, Maybe 15 or 20 things will pop up on the screen, basically what the student, you know, what I would take the everyday student through. And then there's an ambassador version where it's like, all right, maybe if Tony came up and we worked on a swing and talked about golf swings, it would be more in-depth than the basic. And then the full one. So, you know, the student one, you can get a lot done in an hour. Yeah. In an hour less and you get a bunch done. The ambassador one, probably two, three hours. And then the one that Dr. Nesbitt and I used could take, it could take three days to go through a whole swing and really, you know, see everything. Yeah, it's pretty intense. So to get all this and to move, you know, to finish it, to go to the book, how many swings do you have to look at to know that you're, you know, to to be where you're comfortable with it? Well, well, the good news is I've had the motion capture system since 2013. So all the swings have been collected. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I mean, we capture new people still, obviously, but, you know, the swings have been collected. So what we've also built into the program is every time a swing gets run in the back end, it starts pouring it into data tables and builds averages and all that. So it's a well-thought-out thing. So I think I don't think it'll take as long as you would think to come to some really good conclusions. So now I'm going to go back to, as we kind of move towards the end of this, if you're for that instructor I brought up that I use as an example. Yep. And, and they were starting out. What would you advise a young instructor to start? obviously be patient? I love that. But, like, what technology would you advise them to start with? And how would you advise them, you know, to, to progress as an instructor? What steps would you guide somebody like that to go through? Well, I mean, a lot of teaching. There's no, I mean, all the information <laughs> in the world, you know, doesn't replace the years you spent or I spent out there just grinding out a living, giving golf lessons, you know, you get a sharp eye, you get, you know, you start to learn what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, you you learn a lot about people and all that. You can't bypass that, obviously. And it's just, um, you know, reading more about how the human body works is always a good start. And, you know, the science of the swing is a good start for movement of the club. And just, you know, you just got to keep, Trying harder every day. It's just, uh, it's not a, um, not an easy thing. No, no. And, and again, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I talked to a teacher 
earlier too. Like there's, you know, the best thing ever happened to me was I taught and I got a break to teach at a beach resort where I just had a bunch of people coming all the time. Right. Right. And you got to teach all shapes, sizes, abilities, whatever. And you got to teach the person in front of you. And there's no replacement. I don't think for when you get started for teaching a bunch of lessons and trying to figure it out. Absolutely. Without question. Michael, great stuff as always, man. You're a treat to have on. And I do want to get up there. Just talking to Matt not long ago, I want to come up and go through that and sit down with you. I learn way better myself one-on-one where I can hit balls and pick and ask questions and sit in a seminar because I start glazing over thinking about the wine I'm going to drink later. But uh, (laughs) You are welcome anytime, my friend. Anytime. Awesome. So, hey, keep up all the great work and fighting the good fight out there against yep. the other half of the room. And I appreciate you sitting in with me. And I'll look forward to catching up with you soon and probably see each other at Pinehurst in November for the Golf Magazine thing, if not, not before. You got it, Tony. Thanks again. 